I was in, uh, I was just outside of Paris recently and you know, Paris, it's a city big. Yeah. And, Paris. uh, but I was actually going to an Abbey or I think as they say, Abbey, I should really never try to pronounce French. Uh, but I was out there to speak in an event and I have verified that there is a countryside to Paris complete with like big old messes of hay and just cows chilling, eating the hay mm. and then just fields of, of manure. But it's out there, out there for you to Was to this consume. a disputed fact that I missed? I, I thought yeah. that was, I, was, well, I, I mean, felt like it was pretty well known. Like in every World War II movies, like the like, people parachute into like some type of nice, uh, uh, I don't know, just farm fields somewhere. And fields cows, and their stay, so. But I mean, but, but I, I mean, that, that was, that was, was that was the war. That was the war. It's so long oh. ago. So like you would assume, you know, it's, it's a uh, countryside could be gone. Yeah, it's basically basically it's just like there's Paris and then like and then like uh, that one place where they like make cheese and that's that's what you think all of France is but really it's a, it's a diverse gigantic place that has all sorts of things going on uh, including wow. cows and and then this place that we were at they uh, apparently it was an abbey uh, and two people told me this that during the French Revolution the revolutionaries saw fit to tear down most of the abbey except for one tower. And uh, they seemed a little regretful about that. So just remember, listen, listen, if you're going to have a revolution, don't tear down the buildings. Hundreds of years <laughs> in the future, people are going to enjoy the buildings. No need to tear you're, down the buildings. You're going to want those later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, don't, don't, you know, speaking of tearing down buildings, what's up with this, yeah. uh, this Redis, Redis thing? What's going on there? Oh, boy. Wow. You want to yeah. give us a summary, Matt Rake? I, I did a little preparation for the show and read about it. And, you know, I have my, okay. own, my own lukewarm takes. But uh, give, give us a good summary. Oh, geez. Uh, no pressure. But um, so, so the, the Redis Labs folks, the commercial company that is maintaining the open source BSD licensed Redis in memory database, um, they've got a couple of uh, kind of semi-commercial extensions that they have around it. And essentially, they, they were kind of changing the licensing of the things they had because um, they, you know, they saw other people making money with their software and, um, you know, they, they just, that was, that was what they saw as an option to, uh, you know, get more money out of what they're doing. And wow, you talk about opening the floodgates of, of thought, of, of uh, thought lording. Um, a lot of people had opinions on open source businesses. <laughs> but like, isn't the distinction here that the part that I took away that was um, kind of their rationale, their side was, was, wasn't so much like anybody, it was the cloud vendors were essentially offering. And I think that's, I don't know, I don't want to misstate it, but most of them, maybe all of them, so AWS, Google, everybody sure. was offering some, um, some version of like, you know, hey, you know, you can run Redis here, right? And that that's yeah. the part that um, that the, the Redis perspective was that, hey, these guys are profiting without kind of being the, the quote unquote freeloader, right? Like they're profiting off of all this work. They're not offering any, they're not giving back to the community. And, um, and, that, and that's what they use to justify um, changing their licensing is that yeah accurate? yeah I mean pretty pretty much they they had uh, a couple of different services on top of the 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 Redis database that were 
Uh, we're licensed Apache 2, um, and they've added uh, what they call a comments clause that says that you can use it in your applications, but they can't be used in a uh, commercial Redis-based offering. And that that was the thing that got people all riled up because, I mean, when you, when you block commercial usage, um, you, it's essentially saying, well, that's not open source anymore, right? Um, I mean, there even like the the you know the GPL, even the GPL folks have you know gotten the you know gotten in a twist when there was a license, uh, maybe it was called like the Do No Evil license or something that was like, well, you can use it unless you're using it to you know break the law or financial services. <laughs> you know, there's some you know kind of kind of like uh, the folks back at your uh, your clothing optional commune there, Cote, who uh-huh. you know it was like. Well, we've decided that these are things that we won't let you use it for. And as soon as you put any sort of restrictions on it, you know, even the even the Free Software Foundation said, you know, you can't you can't limit those things. You mm. know? And as long as it's legal, you can't really put restrictions on it. This is this is one of those three D printing guns things where everyone's just like, <laughs> oh, I guess I can't do anything about uh, you know making it easier to kill people. <laughs> you know, I got to be consistent. Uh, Wait, which, which side are we on now? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, so, but but when I come back to this, like I, I kind of, I was thinking about this as preparation for this that you can kind of break open source into like a, maybe many, but at least like three things to think about. There's sort of like the open source core philosophy, right? So there, I'm going to say that's one thing. Then there's the open source marketing tactic. And then I think there's yeah. open source, the business model. And then, and so as, as we kind of go through them, I think it's like you just, if you want to think about like the, the outrage, I don't know, maybe that's too strong a word, just the internet commentary. It's like, if you start with like people, and I think this is why open source, when it gets written about a lot, it's like, there's definitely some people as a core philosophy. This is going all the way back to the beginning of the GPL. Like software should be free. You shouldn't have to pay for it. It's like a core philosophy, a tenant that some people believe that um, that ultimately, you know, we all benefit, you know, uh, from this in some way, and that that's a, a core tenet of, of certain people's belief, right? That that's mm-hmm. always how it should be. And so, like when you kind of like w- start to wade into this, it's like, well, if someone, you know, like any philosophy or religion or whatever, if somebody like that's what they believe, and then you start to change that, it's going to generate a lot of emotion, right? So there's sort of that that angle of it, and then there's uh, and I think there is like a lot of people that you know truly believe that, and that's what they want. That's what they want. And then there's kind of the second thing about like, well, open source has this byproduct, you know, that can be great for generating awareness, right? Because it's free and anyone can use it. You know, it's very, it's a very good way to get people to use your product, do something, and you can usually create, often create a community of thousands, if not tens of thousands of people using it, which is a, you know, which is ideal if you're running a marketing campaign, right? You want to get, create right, awareness right. of your product. So then there's like yeah. people right that don't really funnel. care anything about the philosophy. I mean, not, they may or may not, I shouldn't even say that. It's like the, the, the people that are more interested in the fact that this is a great marketing tactic and this is how I'm going to create awareness. It's like, okay. That's good, right? And they're not necessarily tied to a philosophy. They're just like, this is one of many growth techniques we can use. So you have that. And I think those th- things are like very well under, I think I, to me, they're very well understood. And like, yeah, there's value and I can understand where people are coming from. And then there's the third thing that everyone wants to exist that doesn't exist the open source business model. 
No, there just does not exist. This is what everyone keeps making a mistake. Like because you either believed in the core philosophy or you used the marketing technique does not mean that you have some value proposition to convince people to pay you to work on this, right? And that's where because that does not exist. There's not some well understood business model is why um like this is just why all these crazy, you know, changing the licenses and and, and generates you know, so much frustration in people. So mm. I guess I, I kind of think of it that way as I kind of walk through the decision tree of, of reading this. Well, well let, let me let me let me summarize to make sure I got it right. So basically, so basically, you got you got Redis is open. Is it Redis or Redis? Yes. Who cares? Uh, anyways, uh, you got you got. I guess lots of people do. You got you got your Redis databasey thing that's not a database. Your poster one of your poster children of the NoSQL world. And, uh, and it's basically the core of its open source. And then there's these other components, which no doubt make it easier to run and do all your day two stuff and maybe let you do three phase transactions or whatever, some enterprisey stuff that, that is not part of the core, these add-ons. And, uh, then you got your public cloud companies and, uh, they're running Redis as a service, which they charge for, and they're using these add-on components to add the, the good stuff to it. So it's whatever easier to manage yeah. uh and and then and then if we are to believe redis's uh pro clutching on this they're like these public cloud people ain't giving a shit when it comes to money so they're freeloading they're like you know yeah they're, they're uh the, they're an inverse hobo they're like a hobo free riding on these rails we've built and then so redis is like so we're going to change our licensing that if you're running a public cloud uh you you can't do that you got to pay us in, in, well, in for free, yeah. but then they added a commercial angle to it that if you embed it in your commercial offering, you can't do it either. I mean, yeah, essentially the licenses it, it, it's it's reminiscent of the Afero GPL, the AGPL mm. that basically says you know you can't use it in a you know a SaaS pass cloud you know as a service without sharing your you know your modifications uh -huh. and i don't even know if they're they're just blocking usage or usage with modification okay right? so this this would be this would be we'll, we'll theoretically answer this question but that would be an important point is it are you restricted from selling software that or a service that embeds it or just using it so to distinguish between the two let's say that uh the three of us uh got together and we we're like we're gonna fucking solve this calendar problem and and we wrote we wrote a software as a service that we charged you know three dollars a month for per per seat, and you could negotiate once you get five hundred seats, and uh, and and then uh, we were using Redis, and we would have to give Redis some chunk of money if we were using their stuff. So that would be just straight up software, versus if I'd made a piece of online banking software that allowed you to interact with the bank and pay bills, I'm not really selling that software per se, right? So. In the second scenario, maybe I don't need to pay because I'm not a yeah, software company. It. Yeah, and you're just yeah, you're just using it, right? Okay. You're just providing it. Yeah. All yeah, right. I think well, this is where it gets into the whole. I mean, it just I think it just kind of comes at this however you want. It's like if you come at it believing that like open source is core philosophy. If you if you build anything that's open source, it, that belief is that you believe in that philosophy. It should be free because you know we all benefit, right? And I think when people change, right? And I think this is their big mistake. When you say, oh, wait a minute, I thought I was going down this path, but actually I need to make money. And I, I was really what they're really saying is like we decided we were using this as a marketing tactic and now we need to mm. harvest some profits. Right. 
And that is going to generate, you know, I mean, basically people are going to feel like you've swindled, right? That you're either giving up on the philosophy or you're just kind of reneging on, yeah. on your, your uh, problem. And that's why I think this is their core mistake, right? And this is what I would tell everyone, you know, because I mean, I just tend to talk to people that want to do this open source business models. It's like at the very beginning, you have to think this through right at the very, very beginning. Because right? when you start mm -hmm. to do this stuff, is like, I, you know, people are going to be rightfully upset and it's not going to ultimately help your business. And I feel for them. They're probably on the other side of like we I mean, they, it's like we need a viable way to make money. Right. I and mean, that's always where these conversations are eventually going to. And it's like, well, I mean, you needed to think about that when you started this project and you made it open source. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you well, cannot they, change yeah. things. And, and I think the, the landscape has changed. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, if you were starting an open source business, you would probably think, you know, hey, we're going to be the only ones who can run this. Or, you know, if we do go down the path of providing a SaaS, people will recognize our expertise. And now people are like, you know what, your expertise is great, but I'm going to roll <laughs> it into the, the, the cloud where, you know, they're getting 90% of my software dollar, you know, already. So even if, even if you don't, you know, and I'm, I don't know this, but even if you think, oh, you know, those AWS guys, they kind of know Redis, but they're not as good as, you know, the, the one provided by Redis Labs, but they've already, you know, I'm already, I'm already paying my bill there. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm, I'm not going to go somewhere else. It's, it's kind of like if you were to launch, you know, uh, hosted my sequel, you get my sequel from your cloud. And, you know, and actually it turns out, you know, those AWS folks, they know something or two about running MySQL in the cloud, you know, so may, you know, you're kind of like, well, what we thought would be our competitive advantage turned out not to be. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, I mean, Chef kind of faced that a bit when when Amazon uh, had their initial OpsWorks offering, and you know that one it, it it did work out right. The the power of the Chef community, you know, kind of encouraged the the you know coming back around and forming a, a better partnership without resorting to you know license changes. Um, but you know maybe in the case of Redis, it's not. Yeah, but I just think. Underneath this, you know, I mean, to kind of go back to the, I guess, the Redis founders, it's like, you know, you can't, I guess you just ultimately can't have it both ways. It's like, you know, the one of, why a lot of people believe in the core philosophy of open source, right? A lot of other people, I would say even more people believe in free, okay? They believe in free and I can use it and do what I want with it, right? And it's Free like, is in beer. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so when, so I just think when people haven't done the thinking up front, it's like, guys, a lot of people just want this because it's free. Because that's just, you know, and there's lots of reasons. And so when you start to confuse that, it's like, well, I've got all this demand, right? You know, I've got all this demand and people are going to want to pay me. It's like, no, a lot of people are never going to pay you. In fact, if you made it like one penny, you know, that whole like you know, long story, right? Like the penny tax or penny test, uh, then, you know, people aren't going to do it. So, I, you know, I just I kind of come back to these guys and, or as I think about it and just like, you know, you just you did it. You've not thought through your business. Right. And then if you're going to go back and then I mean, like, I think chef's a good example. Like now it's a totally different thing. It's like maybe you do have a community big enough who's saying like, hey, the fact that you're just running it and you're doing your own thing, that actually is not what we want. That's not what the customers want. Right. So in that case, like the community sort of rises up and says this is the way it's going to be, um, which is like a collective thing. Right. So uh, if not. Right. You need if I was uh, Redis, it's like, you know, you need to step back and say you can't start changing the licensing it's going to alienate everybody uh you need to think about like well what else could you do like you could build adjacent products you could you know potentially build a new product 
Um, but just changing the license and then creating all this uproar, right? Is, I, I think in the end, it's not going to help them succeed in the long term. Yeah, I, I, I like I like the gamble that I think I think Matt Essay wrote this up, but there's there's a good gamble going on of like you know you can. Uh, you would you would force the the cloud companies to to pay you as Redis because your your community would uh, I don't know be so in, but not not so much that they would want you to do it your your community your users but that they would uh, they would like to keep using those functions so in their cloud so now they have to take some of that margin from the uh, I don't know the cloud provider but yeah I, I mean I think I think once again it proves our reoccurring theme that the uh, the way to make money is to charge people something. And uh, you know, make, make sure make sure that you have a price that can be now, paid. I, I do think inside of this is an interesting, you know, like potentially new idea, or not even new, or just maybe implementation of an old idea around like you could see a scenario where the cloud, all the, the major cloud vendors, right, being you know, kind of like creating the the app store for all these enterprise open source projects, where it's like, yeah, it's like, you know we're going to put all of this in there and we're going to help, you know, bootstrap a marketplace where it's like, yeah, if, if you take some project and you put it out here and, you know, maybe, maybe even they help run it, but if you will, it's sort of like a de facto partner program, similar to like the app store of Apple or Google play where it's like, you know, we will cut you in on the action, right? Because the reason they would want to do that would be like, we want the best and the most open source solutions running on our cloud, right? Mm. And if we give you a little bit of the money back, one, that gives you a viable way to make, make, uh, create a business, and two, hopefully that lets you reinvest in those, those products or solutions, right? And so it's not so much that they would be doing it because, oh, we want to keep everyone happy. It's like, no, this will actually create more money for all of us, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And that's like yeah. an interesting, it's kind of, you know, we had this discussion the other day about APIs, right, around... Like, you know, there are all these APIs that people create off open source software and it's like there's just not an easy way to like put an API up and then, you know, have people license it. Mm. You know, again, kind of come back to that app store idea. It's like if you want to build an app for 99 cents in the app, app store, you know, you can do it. Right. And if one person can do it because they don't have to deal with all the licensing, you just like have to follow the process. And of course, you take the 30 percent hit. But like you're more than willing to do it at the beginning. And you can kind of see the same situation here. It's like maybe people creating all this software, maybe if there was an easy way for it to put it up and to make money, grow the pie, and then everyone gets paid. Now, I know that takes a, like a lot of moving parts, but it would be an interesting idea for someone to explore. Yeah, you know, you know and that, that kind of hits on another area I'm always curious about, especially with small open source companies is like what does – what is the like the business scaling model look like? So you don't, I I need like some MBA speak where you're uh what's the one where your costs like match the curve of your revenue. So instead of like with a software company, your costs stay stable as your revenue goes up. So you got insane margins, but uh, I don't know what that's called, but, but it seems like if uh, like if you're selling support, uh, there's this paradox of like, so you have like some, let's say you might have an operating system distribution that's really good and people use it because it's rock solid. And, and so the main way you're going to make money is selling support, which is paradoxically admitting that it's going to break sometimes and you're going to need help. But then also like you're kind of selling an insurance policy and how do you figure out how many support staff you need to employ so that you get like good margins to support this stuff. And then if your customers find out that like it doesn't break that often, then they're kind of reluctant to pay for support. But then if they do actually use the thing they're paying for, they get a bad idea of your piece of software. So it's, 
I mean, obviously these things work somewhere, but it's really always a really weird conceptual business model for me because the profit is driven around not ever using the thing you're paying for. And once you use that thing, you have a poor view of the thing, which is weird. Like in contrast, insurance is like regular insurance is kind of like that, except you really like it when your insurance pays out and you probably will be encouraged to go buy more insurance if you uh, suffer from something and the product works for you. So there you go. Yeah. Support I mean, I, model. well, I think it's just like, I think you're kind of getting at like the marginal costs. It's I think what people talk about. Software, marginal right? like cost. What, there you go. That's what everybody, you know, that's the dream of all the VCs, everyone. It's like, you just, you know, the, and I just to like quickly give a bad definition of that. It's like, Hey, once we've produced it, whatever it is, usually software that, it, for the most part, does not require any more effort, no matter how many times we sell it. So we could sell it a million times, and it doesn't really cost us right. any more to create something. So if we were manufacturing like chairs, right, that has a cost. With software, it doesn't. Mm. And you know, for the most part, you know, what you're getting at Cote is software. You know, it doesn't. Even the support costs are usually very, very low. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, this is where it, it, I think there's always a sleight of hand. It's like. People come to get into software, business people, I should say, right, or anyone trying to make money are attracted because of that property, the zero marginal cost. But when you remove the need for a license, you know, you're taking away your biggest marginal cost lever. And then you're often left with either things that do have to scale with people like uh, support or training, or you're left with like kind of this very like. Um, I, you know, this indemnification legal stuff. It's like, well, do I need that or do I not? You know, there's not really any, it's, you know, people go back and forth about really is there value that you're providing back to your insurance question. So, mm. and this is what I think we just, the conversation, we just kind of keep looping around uh, in open source. And I think, you know, and it does kind of come back to like, you know, we'll, we'll go the other way, marginal cost around marketing, right? It's like, what's your, uh, you know, customer acquisition cost? This is why everyone's so enamored with open source. It's like, well, at the beginning, if you just launch it for free, you can get a very, very low customer acquisition cost. And that can be fool's gold, right? It's like, oh, everyone's really using it. Look at all these million people that downloaded it. It's like, but then you go back and you're like, mm -hmm. they're really, they're not customers of anything because they're not going to want to buy anything or very, very few will buy anything. And that's where, you know, we, we, we kind of tend to have these cycles of uh, open source conversations over and over again where people, and this is why I always say, it's like, if you don't think of that problem up front, then you know you're just going to have a million users and like a very disappointed set of investors yeah. uh, at some point in your business. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you're, I you're 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 building the uh, the metaphoric change bank where you know if you bring in a quarter, <laughs> you can get five yes. pennies and two dimes, four nickels and five pennies, whatever you want. They'll they'll just make it up in volume. The the funnel but, will provide. You know, but the for for all the like you know kind of uh you know rehashing you know open source not being the business model it's the winning business model right it, it's kind of like saying you know democracy is all flawed but you know the it's the best of the worst right um because right now we've seen you know the 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 air has been taken out of selling software right that that market i mean the you know there was a red monk essay uh i don't know a year or two ago that kind of pointed out that you know, the money people are making from direct software sales is shrinking, right? And now it's, you're moving on to services, you're moving on to platform because you can't sell software as a standalone thing. Um, and if, if you are trying to sell software as a standalone thing, someone's going to come in and knock it off with open source if it's, 
you know, if it's overpriced, you know, as we've seen with, uh, you know, with just about everything except for Adobe's suite. <laughs> mm, which, which, yeah, well, yeah, because it's well established. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think Stephen O'Grady wrote a whole book on that sponsored by. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's sponsored by uh not datadog some other company and uh but, but you know what i think what he really should have called that company uh, that book is oracle is fucked because i think that was basically <laughs> most of the charts that were in there so i, I think that was the the, the subtitle yeah, right? yeah or the, pretty uh, much well, well right? so so on the note of open source uh just briefly speaking of open source companies having a hard time making money there was a, a press release from from suse or susie or seuss or whatever uh, Souza. Souza. Why, I, I love watch that. Watch the video, people. Zenos. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, they they uh, they're always good about reporting their their revenue, or at least you know uh, their their private. So they I, they kind of get to choose what revenue can look like to some extent. But uh, we've got some new numbers in, and it looks like I, I'm I'm kind of uh, doing some multiplication here. But it looks like maybe last year-ish, I think they say fiscal year, and it's a pain in the ass to go look up what everyone's fiscal year. But let's just, let's just say in 12 months past, they, uh, they made like $360 million, and they got, uh, they got about 30% profit margin, so they brought in $112 million, if I did the math there. Marginally correct, pun intended. But so uh, there's a good business for them. And, and they say they have like 20% growth. So I put together a little spreadsheet to project out like the cumulative cash and, and uh, profit they would be making. And it looks like, you know, there's that PE firm about to close on buying them from Microfocus. And I think, mm-hmm. I think uh, they're going to pay $2.5 billion as the offer. So if the PE firm just kept Suse or Suzy there and uh, took all the profits to pay off the loan, I guess they didn't put in the, uh, the interest on the loan. But basically... They could make back the principal in eight or ten years or so. So that's uh, that, that seems fine. They're not going to do that, of course. They'll sell it off to someone else. But yeah, if if they can keep up that kind of growth rate over the next few years, that's that's a good company there. And and I think also, I mean, just to walk through an example of uh, I don't know corporate dev think. The other thing that's interesting, or that would be compelling from the uh, the eye banker who was showing you some spiral bound presentation, is that. Uh, their their revenue seems pretty stable in the sense that they run mm-hmm. about seventy percent of SAP apps worldwide. Which, you know, say Those what you yeah, say what you <laughs> will about uh, how broken commercial software is, but that one's panning out. And uh, it's wor- worst case scenario, SAP has a long time breaking before it uh, disappears, which probably won't happen. Well, and 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 even SAP is aware of of you know that shift where they've they've tried to start going into more sassy offerings of their stuff and you know they have a um kind of like oracle they have kind of a contentious relationship with their partners where you know they have partners who are trying to do you know managed services of sap um i you know I've, i've worked with one before who said yeah you know the sap guys will that's the business they want to be in they don't want their partners to be in it but you know uh in the meantime, you you know you keep making your money, um, and and similarly, Oracle you know doesn't want a bunch of other people taking their consulting dollars. They want those Oracle consulting dollars themselves, but you know, or they want you to come onto their public cloud. Uh, so you know, uh, you you got to keep transitioning your business model. Yeah, I do think this is a good example. I mean, it's <clears throat> I don't know how much of it was strategy or luck, or whatever, but it, you know, in this case, in the case of Susie, you could say, well. 
you know, it's not so much they sold an adjacent product, but they basically partnered with like an adjacent product, right? So SAP mm-hmm. provides the uh, the really the reason for a company to go buy Susie, right? So I don't, you know, go back in time. It's like whoever was smart enough, or maybe it just happened because of you know other reasons. The fact that they geography, <laughs> yeah, I was to say that was probably the most obvious, but. Uh, the fact that they they did become tied together, right? It really becomes the reason. So this is a good reason. It's back to like, okay, the compelling reason to license the open source is because you have the strong adjacent product that is basically forcing the customer who's already agreed. Like no one thinks they're going to use an open source SAP, right? Like if you buy an SAP, you know you're paying money, right? And then <laughs> when, and then when you decide to buy, when someone's like, and you got to buy Susie, they're like, okay, fine, right? That's like throwing in the. Uh, whatever the uh, window or what the car sealer in the deal it's like fine another couple hundred dollars let's get this done yeah, um get, so that's a I'm, good I'm way tired of negotiating yeah it's like it's over fine throw in the susi licenses be done with it um and so i think this is back to like so if you were i mean if you're kind of getting into the open source stuff like that would be one way to do it. it's like make sure you're tied to a partner that has a strong value proposition that requires licensing um, and then also too, I mean, to your other earlier point, Matt. I mean, I agree with you that open source, you know, it, it's sort of it's it's the uh, it's the unsuccessful successful business model. But I do think this comes back to like, uh, and you know, kind of what I was saying before, like the capturing the value where people are actually going to pay money. At least right now, they're going to play the cloud vendors. So whatever you do in open source, right? You want to align yourself. Like I don't know, can we think of a company, anybody here that's like aligned themselves very well with AWS, right? That's going to help you generate licenses. So, uh, so if you were starting one of these companies today, that's how I would be thinking, right? It's like, how are we going to be with a cloud vendor, and how are we going to get that cloud vendor to cut us in on the revenue? Because if we're going to go out and try to get people to pay us licenses directly, probably not going to work. But if we can get with that cloud vendor and we can convince them that there's a reason they should cut us in on the money. You're gonna have a, a good chance of like being successful. Mm. Well, and and I'm having a hard time thinking of something new that has made that leap that that has you know come with that foresight. You know, there there's a few things that have you know have lucked into it. You know, I mean, luck's not right, but if you're starting a business today, where where do you you know you can't think, oh, I'm gonna out execute, you know, Amazon or Microsoft or Google running some service that, you know, if they look at you sideways, they'll just knock it off and provide, you know, your thing as a service similar, right? And if it's not Redis, they'll be like, oh, well, you know what, we'll call this, you know, we'll call this Hootis and we'll, it'll be your, you know, memory database as a service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you start, like you're starting this company today, any company today, I think, you know, if we were just to run through the the business models, we'd say the first thing we would be is like, okay, we're going to create our new business and we're going to create a SaaS version of it. That would be our goal because then it's like, you know, we're not going to convince people they should pay for the support and licensing. Like, no, if you just want to use it, you just pay us a monthly fee. That's how everybody, you know, starts. So it's like that's like to me as you walk through your business model, and then it's like, well, for some reason we're infrastructure or we don't believe we can create a SaaS or people aren't going to, you know, want to use the SaaS. Then the next thing would be like, okay. If we build this, is there a reason that we can build it better, faster, cheaper, and convince a cloud vendor to, if it's kind of in this infrastructure category, want to include us and give us some revenue? Mm. Okay, so then it's like, if, if the answer to that is a, then... Give me some revenue. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And so, and I think what you're saying is like, yes, no, that is a very... Um, difficult proposition but like you, you know what i'm saying like you should have the conversation up front right like try to get on the phone with aws or maybe bill don't take 100 million dollars of vc spend some time getting some, a tr- some traction with like very low investment on your side 
and try to see if you can cultivate those relationships, right? And if you can't, then it's like, well, what you may have here is a good open source project that is not going to provide you with a, an easy way to make money. So then you should then then in your decision tree, it's like, well, do we continue on this for other reasons, or do we do something different, right? So I well, think it's yeah. Can you can uh, you do an adjacent business off of right? The side that of would be the next and, thing. Was like yeah. So and, and so keep going down. Then so I think it's just like you just have to walk. I just think to me, it's like you could walk through the decision tree before like you get to the other side, like Docker. Maybe that's you know, just like I don't know. Or, or, maybe or they become the punching right? or any of those. Yeah, it's like you know you get to the point you raise a hundred million dollars. You've made all these promises to your board of directors. You have a direct sales force. And it's like, you know, guys, if we went back in time, like a lot of these problems were foreseeable. Right. And um, and, it, and it's also too, like, you know, another option here is like if someone's going to give you 50 million dollars and VC, just take it. Just always say yes. And then it's just like it may not work out. But oh, well, you know what I mean? It's like I got 50 million dollars then I'm I'm going to be I'm going with it. Right. So, I mean, I understand that part, too. But then don't be upset. When like at the end, it's like, well, it didn't work out. It's like, well, you know, sometimes you make bets. It doesn't work out. Um, so I don't know. I just so I think there is upfront much, thinking. Yeah. And there's too much VC floating around. So they'll give you money to try. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, listen, a key thing, a key lesson in life. People going to give you money kind of for free. Probably just take it. That's probably what you should do. So I don't blame anyone for doing that. I, I would like to right. do that myself. Mm, that sounds good. I mean, we we could we could easily accept money if people wanted to give it to us. I think and it, it it seems like so if there if there's I mean, we to, to close out the subject. If there's uh, I I can think of like four dealing with cloud companies like business models you would have, and and I use that term lightly in this first one. One you could have the charity model, which is like they just give you money for whatever reason, and this is also closely related to the make no money model, which. Is kind of what you see with a lot of, not all of, but but big parts of the Kubernetes community, right? Where like, right. Where, or, or I should say Kubernetes itself. There's people like Pivotal and others who make distributions out of it, who add on, uh, you know, in, in the case of Pivotal, our own closed sourcey kind of stuff and package it up and do bundling uh, to, to sell you something. But basically the business model of that open source project on its own is, not making money Get and having acquired. charity. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Get you know, acquired or stay small. It's right. just it's, so then. So then, as we've been talking about, you also could have the license model where it's just not open source and it's just licensed software. Like, I don't, I don't know how much money they make, but you know, you can get an Oracle database in Amazon, and that shit, I'm sure, is not free, right? Like, they, right. I'm sure there's some some cut taken out there. And then there's a proposition that, and this is a proposition that a lot of open source people have to make basically selling support is that like they employ the people who know it so well that they can like run it better. But like, I don't think that would ever sell with all of the marketing that the big public cloud vendors have done where they're all like, we are more secure than anyone. Like yeah, we, we know how to I mean, run this stuff. And so, or, or, or you even end up running a SaaS of a product but you end up running it on the cloud that you're competing against. Exactly. See, and then that was my fourth model. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what like Twilo does, but they basically. Well, I don't know how what their stack is, but, but they're they, not open source, and they've no, actually done. Oh they, yeah, they've done a good job. Right, right, and right. and so so I I wasn't just limiting to open source, but just software in general. If you are partnering with with the public. Oh yeah, cloud. no, no, no. I, I I think there are definite there are definite markets for products that don't have to be open source mm -hmm. um especially if they are if they are 
gnarly. I mean, and uh, gnarly in the in the fact that like it's not something that you know somebody's like you know I've got a real itch to scratch. I'm going to figure out how to work with every single telco provider out there for SMS and voice. And I mean, Twilio is is a hard problem that is hard to knock go knock off as open source. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if you had a library that recognized and converted phone numbers globally that would be hard yeah. to uh to sell <laughs> if, yeah. if, like well i mean i guess you could sell it but like if you had it as open source it would well, be hard yeah, to make I the mean, public cloud companies pay you for that uh right. unless I mean, you straight up license it the, the correct way yeah just dealing with all the phone intricacies is hard yeah yeah like over here in uh, the netherlands like i've tried to i've tried to nail this down but sometimes you put a zero in front of the six, and sometimes you don't put a zero in front of the six. It's very confusing. Same in Australia. Yeah. Sometimes I got zero, sometimes I don't. Yeah. So they need to just figure that shit out. Can I just throw that out there? Like, <laughs> well, also, also uh, this this week there was the old uh, the old VM World. If you're familiar with that company. Speaking of companies that uh, successfully license software. And are doing things now. I think at the beginning of the week they announced that they uh, acquired Cloud Health Technologies, and uh, yeah. you know I think I think when I was at four five one we we were trying to hustle to these these people to like sell them our cloud pricing thing, or I think I think there was some bi directional hustling going on, as so often happens in the analyst world. But the base, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure they have doing some more now. But they basically help you manage the costs of your public cloud stuff. And by virtue of that, they have uh, integrations to all these multi-cloud things. And I don't know, they might do some light other stuff, but it's essentially like a cost tracking and therefore management thing. Or, or uh, am I, I, I limiting them a, too much? I, I think they had a fair amount of the what you, what you would call like the cloud management platforms mm. or stuff, right? So the, your, your, your CMP. So if, you know, at the time when Dell bought in Stratius, um, I would guess that Cloud Health probably considered themselves a competitor. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, they, so they do right? they do your Cloud Mom stuff too, not just yeah, uh, not I, I just think reports. They do. I think they do because I kind of remember like getting a demo, and this was years ago, back back in the day. But um, a demo of of not only seeing your billing and breaking it down and chargeback and all that fun stuff, uh, but a little bit of management in there, um, which which made it kind of nice because you. Because you know you could, you could you could tie together things like well you know this business unit when they use you know these uh, in my case it was you know when they use some chef stuff uh, on AWS you could tie it back to you know a particular group and 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 get really good reporting but also there was still a little bit of control in there too. Mm. CMP. Yeah. That, I haven't thought yeah, about CMPs. that in a long time. Man, that was that was They're hot and heavy there. a long time yes. ago. What what, what, what happened to those right scale people? I know they oh. put reports out, but like, how's how are they doing? Well, I think the the common the general consensus is uh, there's a rumor somebody offered them a billion dollars and they turned it down. Oh, oh. that's too bad. That's another law. That's I, I remember. I remember. I was talking with. Yes. I remember. I was talking with someone <laughs> once. I was talking with someone and, and they were bemoaning that, that a deal like that didn't go down. And they're like, oh, we offered them uh, generational changing wealth. And uh, they just said no. So there you go. I mm. could be wrong. That, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's one I'd heard around. And 
Yeah, I well, I, I, I don't know any VC people. I mean, any 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 startup that has a, a fair amount of good success to be weird and phrasing that's been around for a long time has had many offers made for it, and it's just uh, that's got to be one of the more difficult things to do. I'm sure there's some inspirational core Q and A and uh, podcast on the uh, the A18Z podcast thing about you know just just girding your loins and saying no or something like that. But man, that's got to be that's got to be difficult <laughs> gotta, to turn down gotta money. Gird your loins and and, and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> say yes all the way to the bank. Buy yourself some nice uh, some nice some nice girding fabric and and you're all yep. set. Hmm. Uh, and, and also I, I, you know, I have to admit, I haven't caught up on all the VM world news. So that makes me a bad member of the Dell technologies world, but it looks like well, they, I, they've got some good, uh, some good private cloud SDDC stuff that, that you can get up and running in their project dimension. Now, now you sent yeah, that yeah. one over Matt Ray. So what, what do you make of that? Um, you know, I mean, VMware is, uh, yeah, they're, they're locking down. They're trying to control as much of their own story as they can, right? You've got lots of people who've been using VMware, deploying it for themselves, and you know, rolling it out with all sorts of other partners. And and I don't know if VMware's pie is still growing, you know, as far as like selling straight VMware. They got a lot of other things they've been trying to make up their money, but um, this is part of them kind of honing in on some of the managed service provider business of, of saying, Hey, look, if, if you want to do um, a fully managed VMware, we'll do it in your data center. We'll do it on AWS um, or, you know, you keep running it for yourself, but nobody wants to do that. That's hard, right? Mm. You want to go for the, you know, the software defined data center as a service and we'll throw in, you know, your NSX and everything else. And so uh, I think the, um, the uh, the horizon thing is um, is is all about providing it as a service. Um, I think I saw that somewhere. Uh, uh, maybe not in the article you linked. <laughs> somewhere they were talking about that that the horizon was about running um, uh, about running all the the VMware kit for mm. you. So, so when you're in your uh, in your uh, APG APJ adventures over there in Oceania, oh, yeah. do you see? Are, are you seeing a lot of like private cloud things? Like, are there some Azure stacks? Are people uh, like building yeah, out yeah. their own their own clouds, or is it just is it just like vSphere they have running and and they layer things on top of it? What what goes on over there? Um, I I think Asia is uh, and or, you know Asia Pacific. Um, I think there's probably more VMware uh, and on-prem stuff uh, than in North America these days. Mm. Um, at least that's how it feels. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot more concern around data sovereignty. Um, there's a lot more. You know, there are countries that don't have public cloud. Um, they're not quite ready to you know throw everything they have into a public cloud running in you know two countries over mm-hmm. uh in the case of like you know southeast asia um you know they don't exactly have uh well, i was gonna say like a jakarta you know az yet but um maybe they do <laughs> but but i still hear a lot of that and i think um you know talking with folks like like at oracle even uh you know they're selling a fair amount of the oracle cloud on-prem um you know vmware is definitely still selling a lot and you know that's the 
kind of the the king of 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 on-prem. Um, there's still a lot of big open stack deals being done. Uh, HPE's definitely busy on that front. Um, you know, Azure Stack is is uh, you know I, I've I've seen I've seen it in the wild. <laughs> mm. So so uh, you know I I think I think it's not as much um, all in on public cloud yet. Uh, you know, just for for whatever reasons. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's do, you know, that, that's the one I, I, I wanted to see this of, year. Yeah. Is how how uh, I wanted to see this year, which is almost over. How Azure Stack fares? But I should look that up in some analyst reports or something. Do a channel check. Yeah, no, I read through a lot of the um, uh, various articles, and I thought like the one thing that came out was all this about NSX, right? That seemed to be the big thing about you can. I don't know. At the end of the day, it was sort of like you can run anything on VMware NSX, and they talked a lot about. It's certainly about Pivotal as well as you know running vSphere and it it seemed both equally like technically very impressive and then I, I don't know, maybe it's just when I see all these words in a statement, I felt like, wow, this seems so complicated. Like, you know, um, so that was like my but I, I you know, so I kind of was left with if you were a huge VMware customer and you had a lot of expertise in it, that it does seem like this would be appealing, right? So like I'm sure the people at VMware VM World that would be interesting to them. Um, but at the same time, I was like, if you were like new to this, it was like, wow, this would be, it feels like this would be very complicated. So, which is maybe that's okay, right? It's just sort of like we're catering to our, um, our, our current customer base and that makes sense. But uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves over the next few years. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's, I, it, se- it seems like when you're trying to do cloud stuff, like your, your number one to perhaps 18 barriers are, is uh, networking. And that that's always like an issue that you have uh, up and down the the stack. I don't know up, up and down your your areas of concern. And it is it's also interesting. Like uh, it seems like NSX is the opposite of what we were talking about earlier, which is uh, someone wrote some software that does something valuable, and they thought, how about if I don't open source this and instead I charge people money for it? And and it mm-hmm. seems to uh, that seems to work out. They, I, I, I was trying to look up the numbers, but I didn't spend enough time doing it. And every now and then VMware talks about their NSX business, and it it seems to uh, be growing quite a bit over, over yeah. the years. I mean, VMware's made a lot of acquisitions um, over the years, and it's one of the few hits. Uh, that it, I mean, it feels like one of the few hits that they've really had that has you know formed a, a good chunk of new revenue for them. But if you start to look at some of the plays they're doing with like the – uh, the new was it the NSXT, um, uh, which is is so it can talk to non VMware stuff like OpenStack or Kubernetes. Uh, you can probably figure that you know someone is looking at that that NSX money and thinking you know VMware is coming out of the VMware only space. You got this Istio stuff that is and and you know. Buoyant and all the other like uh, networking, you know, SDN networking for Kubernetes. But it, it, when you, they start talking, they're like, "Well, it's not just Kubernetes. You can also have it talk to your, you yeah. know, your OpenStack, and oh, you can have it talk to your VMware." Well, this is <laughs> so, more like this is more like a request. This would be a great pivotal conversations, Kotak. We have somebody on and mm. uh, like really delve into because I think however they get a uh, PKS running. On top of, I think what you were saying, Matt, uh, what is it, NSX-T, right? Like, or someone walking through that whole thing, um, 
it seems interesting. So, but I, I definitely want to know more about how that all works. It was not immediately clear in all these articles. Like, how do you actually get this to work? And then I think the question, like Istio, sort of, I didn't see it mentioned anywhere. So I'm like, is this kind of like making Istio obsolete inside of here? Like that whole, um, I don't know, like someone working that out and explaining all that would be fantastic. That does sound nice. And the dog will like it too. Yeah, she wants to put her uh, her support in. Is probably very upset that some uh, pigeon is intruding on her space. Very distressing. Well, uh, we we have a, we have actually a unusually uh, big raft of user feedback. We, you want to go through that quickly, Brandon, and then uh, we'll do recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a, a bunch of people reach out to us, which is always great. So uh, first, uh, Brian wants you to know about DevOps Day Galloway. I hope I said that right. So November 18th through the 20th. I think their call for papers is open. There's a link in the show notes. So if uh, if you want to go out there, you know, definitely register and you know go give some great talk. People will love that. Um, we had some great feedback, real long um, feedback from one of our listeners, Camille, and she really liked Matt's Red Atlas recommendation. Evidently, she lives in a part of the world, the United States, where she's actually close to a uh, a nuclear missile site. So her town, I guess, was on this map and was one of the uh, mm. first places to get hit should there be a <laughs> uh, thing. So, so I, I don't yeah. know. I was just like, yeah, good for you. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. And then uh, one of our uh, uh, loyal listeners in the Slack uh, built out a serverless application that all of us can use. So what it is is uh, you give it a couple keywords of podcasts that you like, for example, maybe Kubernetes. And uh, if you put it in there, uh, they it will go out, do a quick search of uh, iTunes and give you an RSS feed of all podcast episodes that have the name uh, Kubernetes or whatever you specify in there. So uh, hmm. I would say, I think I feel okay saying this is early beta. There's no UI here. So you got to like, you got to be comfortable. And I'm sure everyone here just like type in the URL parameter. Um, but again, if you're into the podcast, because you're listening to this, you are. And if you want to like uh, try out his serverless, uh, I guess we'll call it uh, keyword podcast aggregator, uh, give it a shot. I thought it was, it was kind of a cool idea. And then I think, Kote, I think you had a couple yeah, uh, well, and, and also yeah. there's uh, there's DevOps Day Singapore, October 11th yeah. and 12th. I think I think I forget if their CFP is open or not, but you should go to Singapore. It ends today. Oh, so if we get this episode out fast enough, you're going <laughs> to hear this. You're going to submit a talk. Well, isn't isn't August, it isn't August it our, 31st? It must all, already be tomorrow in Singapore, even though it's today here still. If if I uh, I don't know how that yeah, works. it's it's. it's it's after dinner in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think it's I think it's GMT minus time zones are fucked. Uh, if if I remember the, the correct timing, but that's a nice place. You can go there and go to. Of course, you got to go to your jumbo crab or whatever it's called and get some some hot chili crabs. Mm, chili crab. And then uh, and then we have a new listener. Uh, you know, he used to be the uh, the Splunk Ninja. It's nice nice that he's he's deciding to listen now. We'll put a link to to his his uh, excellent review, uh, namely because he says nice things about me. So you should definitely go check that out. Uh, and I appreciate that. So also just a, a quick reminder that um, uh, we, we have a Slack you can join if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack. And, you know, it's fun. You can talk about stuff, see links we might or might not talk about. And uh, we continue to have some interview episodes out over on Software Defined Interviews, uh, which is at softwaredefinedinterviews.com. We just published the one that I did with uh, Rachel at Red Monk, where you can see how terrible I am at maths 
and things like that. Yes. But she explains it to me very well. I still don't quite understand the philosophy of ratios, but I think I think we get somewhere close. I think I've just imbued too much meaning into ratios, and she kind of tells me that like, no, it's there's nothing special about a ratio. Uh, so, so there you go. Uh, and we, we, uh, you can get a sticker. If you just email us at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, you got to tell us your address because we don't, you know, have 3d printer technology. We're busy making guns with, uh, with those printers. Not really. No one's doing that. <laughs> and, uh, you should, you should try Brandon's quick con call application. You can see that in the show notes. So with that quick overview, Brandon, what's your recommendation this week? Yeah, well, one thing I was going to just call back to earlier in the show. So, yeah, so dialing phone numbers. Like, I've been looking into this more and more and the zero, non-zero around the world. So here's a little thing I have learned and I would like to people to tell me if not. So if you're ever having this problem, if you're on a mobile device, just always enter your phone numbers, no matter where you are, with the country code and then use the plus sign when you dial, right? You can basically have a dial mm. and the carrier will just figure out how to dial that for you. They'll figure out that zero non-zero thing. Um, so you can always just, you can always just do that. So that maybe will save you some time. Use the plus sign. Um, and then if you're interested in uh, another podcast, I, I uh, discovered this podcast called acquired and uh, links in the show notes. And so what it does is this couple, a uh, couple of guys, you know, based here in the U S and they kind of go back in a breakdown kind of acquisitions. So they kind of give you the history and facts of an acquisition. And then they do some kind of analysis of it, talk about some of the tech themes. And um, it's just a, if you're interested in tech M and a and tech strategy, it's really good because you know you can. It's like kind of like reading like one of these like books where they go through like the everything store or something and kind of give it. But it's just like an hour, hour and a half where they kind of give you the the basic over uh, facts of what went down and then they kind of give you uh, their analysis of like did it go well, did it not go well, and and behind the scenes. So it's uh, mm. it's also got a really good back catalog. So most of these have they um, they tend to kind of wait on. Uh, acquisition. So like things that have happened in the past, so like things that may be interested to this group was, uh, you know, there was uh, the Mark Andreessen uh, company with Ben, I just forgot what's the develop. Uh, the DevOps company. Yeah. 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 So they go through and um, kind of pick that one apart with one of the uh, people that was actually on the team at HP. So that was something that, you know, I happened to be at the time at BMC. So it was interesting to kind of hear that side of like mm. BMC bought Blade Logic. So it's interesting to kind of hear the other side of like, well, how did that happen? And then they did one on GitHub. And so there's a whole bunch of them. So if you like it and you want to hear, kind of like, you know, more about tech M&A and, and more importantly, like you run out of things in your feed that you want to listen to and this sort of timeless, go check out the Acquired Podcast. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, you know, I should go back and reread this at some point, but my favorite anecdote about Opsware in that Horowitz book was like, it was like, this was the third time we were about two weeks from running out of money. So we were like, fuck it, we should IPO, which seems like a good, <laughs> good uh, strategy around that. I think, I think it was a little more nuanced than that. But there was a uh, motivation to go. But to you go know, I, not to like, I guess I can't let it go. I mean, but it's always interesting because I think I've seen that section of the book as well. And it's like, yeah, well, like, yeah, if you have the guy that invented the, the, the not invented the internet, but essentially invented the internet as we know it through the web browser and, you know, and everyone wants to give him money, it's like, yeah, that's a viable option. So, like, you know, the only people who could do that were probably you, right? Everybody else would be like, no, get the shit off the desk, right? You know, you're going to run out of money. So it's just like, I don't know what advice that is. It's like, it's always like, that's not going to work for most people. No, but anyway, listen no. to the podcast. You'll hear more about it. How about yourself, Matt? What do you recommend this week? Uh, I got uh, 
uh, not a podcast. Um, a book that's about, uh, I guess it's about 11, 12 years old, uh, called Blindsight. It, uh, it's been out for a while, um, but it was uh, Hugo nom- nominated, um, kind of hard sci-fi, which, you know, I know is Cote's favorite genre, but it's uh, 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 something has come and visited the earth in, I don't know, 2080 or something like that. And um, they've figured out where it came from and send, send out a, a, a kind of a one-way ship to go see what's going on. And there's a lot of uh, hard science fiction about the way cognition works. And um, I don't know, it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good story. And, you know, you can go, of course, buy it from Amazon, but uh, it's also has now been changed to Creative Commons. So mm. they've got it available in a lot of formats. If, if you're cheap, uh, you can go and get it for free. And then to, when you like it, you can recommend on a podcast for other people to pay for it. Mm, that's good. This, that's that's an open source business model we haven't considered. Is the uh, the podcasting uh, wormhole? Wait, let me let me. Every five years or so, Matt, I think yes. I should really become a fan of Cory Doctorow's literature, and I try to yeah, read yeah. it, and I just like I get to that point where like there's a toddler smoking a crack pipe in Disney World or something, and I just can't like get past it. So I ask you, Matt Ray. Is, oh, is, 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 is Cory Doctorow, like, are his, his books, is that something I should just, like, be interested in and put in the effort? Uh, I, I, I am a fan of Cory Doctorow. So, uh, you know, and, and I literally got hooked through the, you know, hey, it was free, read a couple, I liked his Boing Boing stuff. And then, mm. you know, I, as the books come out now, I read most, uh, I read most of them. Um, I, I have been put in too much of a spot to go and recommend where to get started, but mm. uh, some of them I like better than others. Um, but there's always a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and that's that's how I feel about you know with with sci-fi books. I want to have something that sticks in your head for you know months and years after you read it. And uh, I definitely got that from Blindside. I've gotten that from a lot of Doctor novels, yeah. and uh, yeah. Well, may, maybe maybe next time you can you can recommend an entree into it because you know uh, I I tried to start reading all of Joseph Conrad by reading his books in order and uh, the first two books I mean I don't want to insult a dead person you know but there's really nothing to offer in the first two books they're not they're not very good there so you can just skip over those so who knows hopefully Cory Doctorow is not like that maybe the first no, two books no. have have stuff to good offer. stuff in all of them. Yeah, I mean, if you want to read about how a uh, how an old crotchety, uh, I think he's Dutch, like Dutch trader is taking advantage of like, I don't even know what, a melee village to like move rubber plants and all the things that uh, happen, then you should, you can read those books. It'll be very entertaining <laughs> for you. <laughs> or Or you could just bump yourself up the timeline and read like Heart of Darkness or Probably even better, you could just watch Apocalypse Now and uh, you'll satisfy it in a, a more accessible way. Which, that uh, might be me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, Joseph Conrad's one of those people, like, I feel like I should really be into it, but I just, I just can't muster it. It's, it's difficult. So my recommendation, uh, speaking of Apocalypse Now, is uh, there's, oh, there's someone at the door. Uh, but anyways, is, is, uh, is this pod, this podcast called uh, friendly fire, which is great. And what's happened recently in it is they have these really Baroque ornate, uh, intros, uh, where it's kind of scripted and written out and they're, they're hilarious. These intros themselves are really good. 
But uh, the, in the podcast, they just kind of, it's one of these talk about, have I, I think I might've recommended this before, but it's, uh, they, they just review and, and do podcast commentary about uh, nominally war movies and it's entertaining. It's, it's fun to listen to because there's some jokesters. So uh, you should check that out if you need podcast things to listen to. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. Uh, if you've magically started listening to this and you have no idea where it came from, uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and find this episode and all the show notes. There's a lot of stuff we didn't mention, and there's a uh, an automatic newsletter that we have uh, that you can subscribe to as well that'll send out the extensive show notes and remind you that it's there so you can sign up for that. And all the stuff you would want is over at softwaredefinedtalk.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.